The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. Amen. If you've ever stumbled into a fitness class or worked with a personal trainer or watched a fitness instruction video, or if you have one of those bikes that feature live spin instructors, or you know somebody who does, chances are you know a bit about mantras, those little pithy short sentence phrases that a fitness instructor will yell out to inspire you to work hard while you work out. Instructors have their favorite mantras. They'll use every workout, saying them over and over, repeating them every time they lead a class. And some of them are written as if to sound profound and deep. Others are just absurd and others are just silly. Here's a few mantras that I've heard. You came here to get stronger, not smaller. The pain you feel today is what will make you stronger tomorrow. <laughs> you can do anything for 15 seconds. You didn't get this far to only get this far. If it doesn't challenge you, it's never going to change you. Acknowledge the fear and do it anyway. Or... You can either be sore tomorrow or sorry tomorrow. Which do you choose? <laughs> Fitness instructors love these mantras, these little baby food bites of wisdom. They can package up and shout out again and again with the hopes that over time you'll believe what they're saying and then act accordingly. They're like little pep talks, little sermons to yourself that you can begin repeating so that you make some sort of change to your fitness intensity. Sermons to self. Today we reach the penultimate installment in our summer series, Shaped by the Psalms. It's not the last week, it's the second to last week. Next week, we'll bring this series to a close as Paul will preach on Psalm 148, as we'll sing a new psalm of praise with words taken directly from our children's sermons over the summer. Next week, we will end our summer schedule, welcoming back our Faith Formation Hour on the 17th, welcoming back 10.30 worship on the 17th. But next week is the end of summer for us. But today, for today, we're still immersed in the Psalms. And today, right now, on this day, we're paying attention to Psalm 146. It's the first of five concluding Psalms of the book of Psalms, each of which begins and ends with that memorable phrase, Hallel Yahweh in Hebrew, praise the Lord in English. If you have your Bibles open, great. If you don't, you might want to if only to follow along as we consider what does it mean for us to be shaped by this particular psalm. Psalm 146 is an interesting psalm because maybe in a way, kind of like some of those fitness mantras, Psalm 146 is kind of a sermon to oneself. 
In fact, Psalm 146 is one of only six psalms in the whole book of Psalms whose object is the speaker's own soul, the speaker's own nefesh, the speaker's own being. That is to say, the direction of this psalm is not directed out toward a congregation as if to say, let us praise the Lord, nor is the psalm directed toward God saying, we praise you, O Lord, but rather it is directed to the inner being of the psalmist. Look at verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, together, O my soul. This is not a psalm about oneself. It's clearly a psalm about God and God's character over against the character of human leaders and institutions, but it is written as if to be repeated by a person looking at themselves in the mirror, saying again and again and again these words with the hopes that one day they'll come to believe it, and on that day they will act accordingly. It's a sermon to self, okay? Fine, but what's the message of this sermon to oneself? What point does this sermon, this pep talk, this spiritual fitness instruction of a psalm actually make? Well, it's a two-part sermon, it turns out. Part one comes in verse three, which says this. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. In crafting this sermon to oneself, the first point the psalmist wants to make to his own soul is that it is calamitous and spiritually problematic to put your trust in human leaders and human institutions of power, whether they be in government, in finance, in family, or in the church. The word there in Hebrew, which says, in whom there is no help, is actually not the word for help, azer, but rather the word for salvation, teshuv. Do not put your trust in mortals in whom there is no salvation. Some ancient copies of Psalm 146 ascribe it not to the pen of King David, but rather to the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And putting these words on the lips of prophets makes a lot of sense, since their whole vocation was to remind the people of God to stop looking at human institutions for salvation, but instead to look to God alone. But the point being made here is that there is not one elected leader, there is not one Supreme Court decision, there is not one piece of legislation, there is not one financial investment strategy, there is not one church renewal philosophy that can save us, that can rescue us, that can turn us around, or that can guide us toward a life that flourishes before God. Imagine the psalmist looking at himself or herself in the mirror, and they're saying over and over and over, do not hope in the work of mortals to redeem this world. It will not happen. 
Even people with great plans and great ideas are still just people who are mortal and who die. And when they die, their plans go with them to the dust, and the next leader comes along and undoes all the things that were done that weren't half bad. Psalm 146 says, look, if you're looking for an elected leader to end all the wars, if you're looking for a Supreme Court to end all injustice, if you're looking for an investment fund to provide for all your needs, if you're looking for a pastor or a church leader to keep your faith intact or to make the church flourish, well, today's a good day to remember these words. Do not put your trust in mortals in whom there is not the possibility for salvation. These institutions, these people and leadership cannot offer us the hope of salvation. Why not? Because they are only mortals. And mortals cannot do for us what only God can. Part two of today's two-part sermon. Part one, don't put your trust in human leaders. Part two, verse five, happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord their God. The restless heart of humanity can only find its rest, can only be satisfied and blessed when it begins to not look to the princes of the world for help, but instead to the Lord, to a God who, as the psalm says, made all things. To a God who keeps faith forever. To a God who is, in, who is aware of our need, our crisis, our trouble, and our suffering, and who alone steps in to save us. A God who alone gets to be the one who judges the wicked. A God who will rule forever. Psalm 146 says that we ought not to look to the finite, mortal, sinful institutions for our salvation, but rather we should look to God who is at work right now in this world, doing what? Executing justice for the oppressed, giving food to the hungry, setting the prisoners free, opening the eyes of the blind, lifting up those who are bowed down, watching over the stranger upholding the orphan and widow. That is what God is doing right now while the princes of earth conspire and plot to make more money and bring more conflict and pass self-serving laws. Psalm 146 asks us to redirect our hopes away from the human institutions which promise us so much and instead place our hope in the God who is at work right now, knee-deep in the mud of our circumstances to bring healing and wholeness and comfort to those who are suffering. When all is said and done, when the timeline of this world reaches its end, it will be God's will that will be done on earth. It will be God's kingdom which shall overtake this reality. It will be God's purposes which will unravel all the best plans we've made. It will be God's purposes which will deconstruct all the towers to heaven we've built 
to make a name for ourselves. Church, if we look to the princes of this world in whatever form they take, if we look to the princes of this world for help, we will be disappointed and we will turn into the best cynics when those plans crumble and when we find that the bottom line of this world hasn't changed at all. If we look to the princes of this world for our salvation, we will inevitably be people who make everything about ourselves and our gains, and we will stop measuring success by the benefits it offers to those who suffer. Psalm 146 is a psalm for all generations, but perhaps it's a psalm especially for this present American generation which seems to be thriving on an anger and rage addiction in which both sides of a political fight believe that only their side can fix the problems and bring peace and prosperity. If we are to be a people who are shaped by this psalm, indeed changed by this psalm, then we must always be skeptical and dismissive of the claims of any human person who says, only I can fix things. Just trust me. If we're going to be shaped by the words of Psalm 146, then we must also recognize that our greatest hope as Christians is not that we will win and our enemies will lose, but rather that it will be God's will that is done on earth as it is right now being done in heaven. If we're to be shaped by Psalm 146, then we must become people who believe that God is indeed the only sovereign of this world, and that we must take our cues for what we choose to do as a church from what God is doing. And that means noticing that God is right now caring and providing for the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoners, the blind, those who are bent down, strangers, orphans, widows. And we must be people of such faith to say that is where you will find me at work as well. Not at work to make more, to earn more, to have more, but to be with God, where God is to be found. Now there is a tension in this text, because while we are not to place our hope in our leaders, the text is not also calling for anarchy either. We must still want our leaders to act in ways that benefit those who are oppressed and suffering. We must still urge them to do such work because that is where God is at work. That is what is driving us towards that work. We must still hope and expect that our leaders can do differently than what they do. We must not just be so cynical we chalk it all up to loss, but we cannot at the end of the day expect that that is where salvation will come from. Because the text says, no. Happy are those whose hope is in the God of Jacob, whose help is in the name of the Lord 
their God. May we be a church who is so shaped by this belief that we do not get lost in the weeds of our politics, but rather that we go out together finding more ways to demonstrate the radical love of God toward the stranger, toward those who are bent low, to those who are oppressed. And may we rejoice when we discover the presence of the risen Christ with us as we do. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen.